Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of M365 Voice. My name is Mike Morani. I'm Sarah Harvey. And I'm Antonio Mayo. And today we have a special guest with us. We have Mike Fitzmorris, Chief Evangelist and VP North America WebCon. Welcome Mike, you want to introduce yourself? Thank you very much. Well, you already did a fine, fine job of it, my friend. Not, not to worry. So uh, Mike and all of us have known each other for a long time. We've mm -hmm. always met, collaborated, chatted. Why now? A lot of fun things during events and now uh, always comes back to few topics. And one of the big topics is about business process automation. And uh, we've been talking and it came up a few times and we wanted to chat with, with Mike about the difference between uh, automations and business process. What is an automation and what is a business process? And what's the definition between both of them and the difference? And uh, we thought it would be really good to chat to you about that. Well, thanks. Uh, I I appreciate it. It's, it's a topic near and dear to my heart because whether it was uh, at Microsoft or pre-Microsoft or, or post-Microsoft, I've been dealing a lot with business process management, dealing a lot with automation, dealing a lot with uh, workflow. Uh, it's it's kind of what I do. Uh, mm -hmm. I see, maybe this is frustration at aggressive marketeers or evangelists or something like that. Not you guys, but, uh, but people that just... Uh, uh, you write a macro and you call that a business process. No, that, that's not a business process. I don't want to be snobby about it. I don't think anyone does. Uh, but the gist of it, it's a good idea to have a sense of what problem it is you're trying to solve. And terms mean something, at least to some extent. Some flexibility on calling something automation or workflow or process, you know, fine. It, but if someone thinks that if you connect, say, Salesforce to Outlook, you've just implemented a business process, you haven't really thought through the reason why you engage people like Mike, like Antonio, like Sarah. There, there, there's a reason why you use software like WebCon or some of the other guys. Um, business process management is a really big thing. And, and you can implement it lots of ways with lots of software. Um, Plenty of ways to get this done, but the business problem is bigger than you think. I think we've all run into people that think we can build something in a matter of minutes and then uh, walk out the door and you spend more than a tiny bit of time educating the potential client that, um, that to think things through a little bit more than they have, possibly a lot more. I don't know. War stories? Anybody? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on something you said sure. for just a second, Mike. Of course. Go ahead. Um, you talked about macros for just a brief second. I kind of yeah, sure. clicked on that term because if you think to financial business processes mm -hmm. and how many of them were done for a very, very long time with legacy so yeah. mm -hmm. a lot of those business processes were simply done in Excel, right? Sure. Like mm -hmm. the market for Excel is enormous, where if you think about 
invoices and payrolls and accounting and accounts receivable and so on. So much of those things happen in Excel. And a lot of times people would just develop a macro sure. and, and, you know, call that automation of a business process or auto, you know, partial automation of a financial partial business process. Automation of a task that's part of a bigger business process. Okay, that's what I was wondering. How you would I, I love that yeah. term. That's good. But it's task automation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so much stuff has been done in Excel. In fact, it's probably the only truly successful no-code platform I've ever seen. Low-code is another story. No-code, I think we're talking Excel, unless you think a formula is code. There's a case that can be made for that. But um, if my rule of thumb is if a spelling error breaks it, it's code. But... <laughs> That's a, that's an interesting thing. So I want to, um, and this is how it starts, Mike, that we just interrupt each other. Sure. Um, but I'm interested in poking a little bit at where the borderline is between this business process and an automation. Because uh, it's oh, okay. something that I have seen for years and years and years, ever since SharePoint 2007 days. When you enable your average business user to build something that is a widget or that automates a task, now all of a sudden you have a problem where supportability of that item, understanding how it works, reverse engineering became a thing. So if we were going to define how, where is the borderline or the border zone between automation and business process, isn't a key part of that. Mm -hmm. Is it supportable? Is it documented? Is it known? And does it have to be reverse engineered? How else would you describe the border zone between what is automation or a widget and what is a business process? I would say that the easiest way to classify it is that automation is often part of a business process. Uh, but what you're you're almost never automating a process, you're automating tasks within a process. The, the verb I want to use for processes is management. So it's entirely possible to have a managed business process that has no automation in it. It may be little more than a sequenced checklist with, uh, with you know, like ask Sarah to do this, wait until she's finished, then give it to Antonio and he does this. And depending on what happens, it moves on to Mike or comes back to Sarah or any of a number of things like this. It may never be automated because it's way too, there are far too many options and it might not be frequent enough to spend the energy on it. But you need to manage that process because otherwise we're not going to all understand it. We won't be able to communicate it to a new person that joins our little group. Uh, we might not be able to look for ways to improve it. Uh, there, there are so many reasons why what we're doing, where it fits in with everything else, and what we need to accomplish it need to be taken seriously and managed as a forest, not a bunch of little trees. Mm -hmm. the, trees the trees matter. Again, we, we, we're not disparaging automation, but um, only looking at the trees, you miss the big picture. And the big picture is the business process. Um, so yeah, I get it. It's all, if we, if we can say it, it's all about the process. Make sure to that the process yeah, of course. <laughs> managing the process. Yeah. But don't you think at some point, if I'm repeating the same tasks inside a process over and over again, at some point, shouldn't I automate part of it at least if I cannot automate the whole thing? Almost and, always. 
the tedious stuff that can be automated probably should be automated. Uh, the things where errors are more likely to take place, uh, you want to automate it not necessarily to eliminate work, but to make sure that the work properly happens. Uh, in fact, sometimes the automation might be guiding a person through manual steps, but ensuring that the manual steps were done. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can do it completely without human intervention. I, I, I love that too. Uh, it, it's seeing to it that what you want to have happen actually happens. I, I, I've stopped talking about saving time and saving money is the reason for doing these things. It's not that they don't matter, they matter a lot. It's just everybody cares about saving time and saving money. Mm -hmm. What people don't often remember is that uh, making sure we don't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. is, there's a massive payoff to just making yeah. sure we drop fewer balls or drop none at all. And Well, and at the risk of sounding um, not everyone gets excited about things like yeah. ITIL and governance and things yeah. like that, but there's a difference between a personal passion project mm -hmm. and an enterprise supported uh, process or an enterprise supported function. And yep. I think that we're talking about that difference here because an automation can be something that Antonio builds, but what happens when Antonio wins the lottery, retires, moves to a great new job, or becomes an independent consultant. Um, when any of those things happen, what happens to the automation? And often the business is left with a certain amount of risk that when Antonio moves to doing something else, that suddenly the widget mm -hmm. dies on the vine, stops halfway through the process, and nobody may be able to figure it out. Yeah. Process management is as much a uh, an organizational behavior thing as it is a software thing. It's making sure we model out what we care about, we get agreement as to what it is, we figure out what we missed, and then we determine how to improve it. And there could be a lot of little automation things going on in there. But if you're going to engage a consultant, I would hope that you want the consultant to focus on the big picture uh, and certainly help with all the little tactical things going on too. But if you think you saw you you made a huge difference by um, coming up with an automated way to transfer data out of multiple Excel spreadsheets into one SharePoint list, um, that actually helped. But my guess is you're doing that for a reason. I want to know what the reason is, and then I want to figure out whether that was the best way to achieve it. Um, but I still applaud the fact that someone did something like that. But I really, really want to know why. And to the consultants in the group, and um, then I'll back off and, and let Mike talk and Antonio talk. But from a consulting perspective, don't you get engagements from people that are literally up a crick because they have no idea what, where, when, and how something actually works? Yeah. I mean, I, I've done consulting before, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and and basically you 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 get asked or you you are on on the job and you you're solving a, a, the um, a problem um, and you get you get into a situation where they want to do something pretty quick and automated and you're gonna have to step back and ask the question exactly what Mike has mentioned what's the reason why are we doing it this way and see if we can do it differently or is it is the right way to do it mm -hmm. uh, most of the time. 
whether you are changing the way they're doing things today, whether you're going from a manual business process management, uh, or you are changing an automated way, the end user don't really like the change. Uh, when you build mm -hmm. in your business process, the things might not be the same as manual. You might you're probably going to have to do things differently. You might have to change your business process differently to adopt to what the big picture is. Um, so this is also a challenge for users to embrace, embrace the change and how we can actually go and accept and adapt to the new management and the new automation inside that management. Yeah, if you give them a reason, they'll fight you a lot less. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so yeah, there's you, something to be said for that. So if you step back and you look at things from a business process perspective, so let's mm -hmm. say you buy into this and all right, we're, we're not going to think about automation. We're going to think about business process and defining business process, and perhaps some of it gets automated, perhaps all of it gets automated. If you're going to start from the business process perspective, mm -hmm. I think you've answered a good part of this question already, but I kind of wanted to summarize it. First of all, where do you begin in mm -hmm. that business process definition process, right? What you might think of as process engineering. Mm -hmm. Where do you begin, and what are some of the major phases that you go through in defining such a process with the intention of automating some or all of it? It's hard to come up with one way to do that, okay. but one way that works for me is to think about something in terms of stages. Um, and if stages isn't a word you're, you know, SharePoint designer used that term, uh, at least the final version of it did, that, that was kind of handy, but, Really, what, what I'm thinking of here is statuses, like for ex work backwards from that. In other words, let's say I want to put on a conference. You know, we've all been involved in that, either from things as small as SharePoint Saturday, although those things are not small, uh, to, to like week-long extravagant uh, superfests. Uh, whatever it is, there... There's a beginning, there's an end, and there's a whole set of steps that must go through. In fact, there are multiple uh, sub-processes going on all the time. But if you look at it from the point of view as where do we stand? What's the status we're in at the moment? We're waiting for something to happen or something has been achieved or something along those lines. I like to model backwards from what the possible statuses are and then figure out what happens as you move between one status to another status. Uh, there's a lot more to it, but if you start that way and you think about, uh, this is something users can actually grasp. We're here, we wanna go here, we wanna mm -hmm. go here. I do not get bogged down too much in um, every single atomic step that happens along the way. I like what you're suggesting of like starting of working backwards because yeah. when you said that what that got me to think of is think of the outcomes that you want to end mm -hmm. up with work back from there and think of it in terms of what stages does something go through in order to get to those outcomes yeah mm -hmm. so, and you could look like some it. software is optimized for that some platforms are not optimized for that but can still be made to work that way and others mm -hmm. you're going to be thinking that way yourself and then translating mm -hmm. it into whatever it is they do but it's still a good way to think 
Okay. Uh, I mean, there are other people that th that do it in the exact opposite way. Like thing number one is figure out what all the roles are and uh, then figure out what all the steps are. Uh, yeah. But that tends to, it's not that that can't work. In fact, I like enumerating roles, uh, but thinking about the steps that must happen first generally produces diagrams and models that make users' eyes glaze over. Uh, it's too dense, it's too tightly compacted, and, and in some cases, it's a little too arbitrary. I really like working bottom-up from statuses as opposed to working top-down from steps. But I care a whole lot more that it's being done in the first place than how it's being done. I mean, once we've all agreed that it's a good idea, I obviously have opinions about how to do it. But uh, I, I, the fact that some people spend time on automating tasks and never think about how they're all interconnected and whether or not they achieve the goal you want or mm -hmm. figure out what the goal is, this is the part that breaks my heart sometimes. Sometimes there's so many things to unpack there because I think that depending on the type of users or the situation that you have, you might be automating things for the fun of using a technology capability rather than having a useful business outcome. So I love that you started with why. I remember way back in the day, um, despite the fact that I say I'm 28, I might not be, but way back in the day when I was using SharePoint 2007, and I would be helping people automate business processes. I used to always ask them, what are your, why do you want, why do you do these steps? Mm -hmm. What is the outcome and what are the pain points? Because if you can talk to them about why, you limit the things where they have no idea why. Because somebody told me to do it that way and we don't have any idea. And equivalently, maybe it's like cutting off the ends of the roast before you put it in the pan because your grandmother didn't have a pan big enough for the roast, right? Um, right. But if you also ask for their pain points, then it might be easier to get them on board if you can solve for some of those. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a fresh pair of eyes really helps in terms of figuring out what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll give you a sense of a lot of the time we think a document is a process. We tend to use the term approval and we route a document through some things. Uh, and sometimes the document is the only asset you really care about. And, and thinking of what happens to a document is perfectly appropriate. There are other times, however, that the document is one piece of work product in something that's much bigger. And there's mm -hmm. really a, a case that you're working on that might involve a set of documents. SharePoint document sets help uh, out quite nicely here. As long as the things you're working with are documents in the first place, there might be charts that matter, there might be data that matters, there might be threaded conversations and email trails and a bunch of other things. But this notion of there being a business or a case that needs to be managed, like a patient case or a legal case or something like that, there, there might be value in working from the point of view of a case that has documents in it as opposed to working on a document. And in truth, it's probably both. You might have a support case that involves a set of people, a set of sub activities, a set of documents, records of what happened. And then when it reaches a certain step or state or stage or status, at that point, we harvest what we can out of it. The, the, the briefing document or the technical notes that goes into a, a knowledge base. You take a, 
a status report on that and that winds up somewhere else. You might have billing information that goes into an ERP system. And the documents matter too, and they'll probably go into a library. Um, but to have thought that you were just routing around a document, you, you would have been missing a lot of stuff. You mentioned something before, uh, and that really what, what you mentioned and what, what Sarah's talking about, about the user's interaction. When oh, yeah. you build your, your, process, uh, your process and you start from the back and you work way backward from the back uh, towards the, uh, the, uh, the beginning of the process, and you have multiple stages and you might have multiple steps, um, you'll always get to the point where you have to make a decision which way you want to go. Mm -hmm. Do you spend a lot of money on, let's talk about automations and task automations uh, to kind of, you twist the arm of the software to make it fit your needs, or are you flexible enough to make changes to your 20 years of process management to make things better? What are your thoughts on that? I personally don't like fighting the platform uh, just because it becomes unsupportable. and. This is, I think that's generally good advice, period. But in particular, I have a strong bias against not fighting the platform. And it goes back a long time. It used to drive me crazy when people, you know, uh, I started, I started with SharePoints before it was called SharePoint. I was on the original team and stayed with it until just before 2010 was released. And it usually drove me crazy how people would try to customize it into something that didn't look, feel, or behave like SharePoint. Branding, customization, I get that. I That's fine, mm -hmm. but, you know, a lot of work was done to make sure, you know, this kind of interaction worked and, and was supportable and performed and so on. And now you want to say, no, I want this kind of whole thing to happen. And okay, you can do that, but it's going to be on you when we put out an update that might break it. And it's not mm -hmm. going to be our fault, even though you're going to blame us for it anyway. Uh, and it's going to be up to you to keep it all current and make sure it performs and make sure it uh, does what you're expecting it to do. And so where you could just accept that it works this way uh, and, and have a nice life. And some platforms have been able to get away with this. Nobody complains that you can't, you know, completely redo Word or Salesforce or Box or so on. We definitely want to, uh, or Teams. Actually, I love Teams. I love Teams because there are very limited options for customizing it, so people just use it. And so much more work gets done than when we were trying to, um, create custom SharePoint sites and modify them before anyone ever started getting any value out of them. Now, I love it because when you push the envelope to that degree, that's where you end up with really brittle solutions that don't perform a high volume of the time or that extend way beyond where you should. So yeah. I love the path that you're going down with that. Yeah, but I believe that everything is going to change on a very regular basis. Uh, not going to dwell on on webcon but one thing that's particularly unique to the to the product's dna is that it assumes that you're going to make regular modifications to any business process solution you create and they that 
they go out of their way. We go out of our way uh, to make the cost of doing so as low as possible, as close to zero as we can get it. Uh, so I have a professional bias as well as a personal bias about it. But I do believe that no matter which tools you use, an application and a solution, a process is a relationship. It's not a deliverable. Uh, you're going to assess whether or not conditions have changed. Users will tell you what you forgot, and now you've got to go uh, address mm -hmm. it. Or just your business environment will change. Your regulations that you have to comply with will change. Something's going to change. You're going to need to adapt. The more you customize something, the harder it is going to be to adapt. Or, or heck, for this matter, you we've all worked with the power platform in one form or another at one point or another. And there, the, the version of power apps most people think of are Canvas driven power apps mm -hmm. uh, where you you have a blank canvas you drag and drop controls onto it any way you see fit you bind them to data you party on and, and i get that but there's also something called a model driven power app and it's not as well known because you have to pay for it uh it, it's not in the box with microsoft 365 it's part of the uh, uh the pro license for the power platform but that allows you to model data and then say the data should be rendered in a form uh, the following way. You make a change to the data schema, the form updates. Webcom works the same way. Uh, but this approach where the models in charge allows you to make changes a whole lot more easily and the application's less likely to break as you inevitably evolve it. Um, this kind of stuff matters. The more you customize, the more fragile it is. I say that with love, but it's tough love. I would say that's what, what you just described is also one of the reasons why model-driven apps may not be as popular. Part of it is because you have to pay for it, but yeah. I mean, part of it is you start from a different perspective. Correct. Right? You start from you don't start from the perspective of I've got a canvas, I'm going to throw some controls on there, and I'm someone that's a little bit technical, so I can you know do a little bit of low code stuff here and there to actually make it work. And oh look, I got a form that I can capture data on. Sure. Whereas with the model driven app, you start from I have to define the data model, which right. feels and is a more technical concept than I'm going to throw some controls on a page and just make them work. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and for what it's worth, the the way we do it is you you define what data you want to see on a form and you're dealing with the layout and the backend data at the same we do it all at once yeah but behind yeah. the scenes the form is tightly coupled to, to data to the, the data model the point is however in in all of these cases um there are two things going on one is fragility whenever you make a change and i would assert that you're going to make a change but the other thing is especially to tie this back to what you were saying about users if I've got five different apps that were created by five different people with five different ideas as to how a UI should be, I've got a user that's going to be going like this. Mm -hmm. Some sort of consistency, not not I not conformity, not identical, identicality. I don't I don't know what the word is I want here. If there's some form of consistency. Uh, an empowering thing whereby I can use the knowledge I learned when I figured out how to use this application. Uh, when I pick up this application, I, I barely need to learn anything because I kind of know where everything is. There's some value in consistency. That's all I'm saying. 
He used two different Teams channels. He used two different uh, Viva uh, uh, UIs. You, you know where everything is. And, yeah, that's a good thing. If we take that back to the pro, well, some of what you just said back to the process engineering question from yes. earlier. One of the, like we talked about how one option is start from, you know, from the end state, from your outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, work backwards and stages. Yes. One of the outputs of that would, I would think, ultimately be the data model, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of asking for your thoughts uh, on this. Ah, yeah, I see. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like as you go through that process engineering process before you do automation, one yes. thing you're going to end up defining is your data model, right? And you also mentioned roles that are involved in it. So I would think, like from a process engineering perspective, there's some important concepts there. There's the outcomes you're going to end up with. There's the stages you're going to go mm -hmm. through. There's the roles that are involved at the different stages. And there's ultimately the data model as well. Yeah. And so you bring up an excellent point. Uh, I, I firmly believe that you should start with the process first. And I like working backwards from the, st the statuses, the stages or something to get to the process. Yeah. From the process, you'll think once you know what the process is, now you're in a position to create a data model. What far too many people do is create the data model first and then figure out some sort of reactive set of steps uh, and infer a process from that, which inevitably forgets stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Starting with the data before you know how it's going to use be used is kind of crazy. Uh, at, at least it is to me. Uh, there are certain data management business problems that are perfectly suited to that sort of approach. But when you're talking about an uh, some sort of fluid ongoing business process, I kind of want to know what we want to accomplish before I know what data we need to accomplish it. And I definitely don't want to go anywhere near the user interface until I know what we want someone to do and what data they're going to be working with to do it. And then we can come up with a purpose-driven UI that fits what they're being asked to do at any point in time along the way. Too often it's, I model the data first, now I make some forms for it that, that are designed to edit the data, and then I throw in some reactive logic when there's an update to, the, to a, a row in a a table someplace. And, and then as the business process changes, we just add band-aids and we'll divert off this way and then come back this way. And pretty yeah. soon it's, yeah. Well, also you end up, you would, I would assume, in, I've seen cases where you would end up with a business process that just does, like a business process that doesn't fit what people actually do. Yeah. And therefore doesn't really get adopted or used because mm -hmm. you started with the data, you built something that helps people edit the data. <clears throat> actually how people work i was so focused on automating a task the way i saw it that i didn't think about the big picture we can get at this from lots of different points of view we're, we're arriving at the same conclusion i can talk in terms of uh business strategy or i can talk in terms of software tactics but it all comes down to you really ought to work backwards from goals and know why you're doing something and not build something until you know what it's for yeah yeah so if so, we've done this. We've built it, and we mm -hmm. we have this really good solid business process. Would you go back into it? Would you visit the actual process a few months after? Do you have? Do you put any measurement against it? Do you go and check if it's working really well? Um, 
because I would argue that you need to well. build. Yeah, I would argue that you need to build measurability into any process solution. Okay. So, if depending on the platform that you're using to build it, some some companies uh, have that built in. Others make you do. You have to do that work yourself. Look, as long as the work is done, uh, I I love everybody, uh, but you might need to insert steps into your processes to emit the data that you need. Um, mm -hmm. And you, you might need to create a place to collect that data so that you can analyze it later. Whether you're doing the work yourself or whether you're relying on a platform that does it for you, it needs to get done for two reasons. One, you're going to need to measure to see whether or not you're actually accomplishing what you thought, and you're going to want to see whether you're accomplishing it close, you know, quickly enough and, and so on. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is you actually need to start off by measuring what it was like before you automated the process. And here's why, especially because the three of you still do consulting and I have done consulting. We need to prove our worth. Uh, even if this is an in-house project, uh, you need to prove that you made a difference. So if you can't compare before to after, people are just going to assume after is the way it always was and forget how big a difference you made. Absolutely. Yeah. If you don't measure it, it didn't happen. Love it. And 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 from the point of view of people providing services for for hire, if you can't prove you made a difference, you don't get asked back. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good point. So yes, measurement matters. Um, oh, and, and for, we measure for measurement is not the same thing as auditing. So auditing is more of a human or an administrative thing as opposed to a business decision-making thing. Like mm -hmm. I, I might look for telemetry on my process to figure out how to make it better. But I might also, different people in my organization might want to open up a form and then look at what happened to it as it moved along the path of getting done. Um, I mean, it, ideally you would be able to open up a form and say, what did it look like when it was first submitted? And then what did it happen what, what did it look like in step two, in step three, in step four? Uh, we can do that. But uh, one way or another, you ought to be able to represent a record of what took place. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since a couple of things like, if you're of a certain age, you remember the word Sarbanes-Oxley and you, you cringe. For, for those of you that have entered the market in the last 10 years, Sarbanes-Oxley was a, a, a law that got passed that made every CEO out there wet their pants. Because basically, even if you didn't know that things weren't being complied with, it's still your fault. So suddenly, every corporation out there became really, really, really obsessed with compliance with regulations. And so being able to audit everything that took place became a lot more important than it used to be. And the reason we don't bring it up now is because we're all used to it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we everyone cares about compliance and governance. We don't remember what kind of you know what hit what fan in order to create everyone caring about it, but it happened. Well, and I'm going to go back to, I mentioned this before, but ITIL management, supportability, operational stability. 
Hey, guess what? It might not be elegant, but if you're going to have a business process and your business is depending on that process, mm -hmm. um, should you have it in your CMDB? Should it go through whatever your internal IT governance process is? But should you actually make it a thing that is an enterprise standard item, a configuration item, if you will? Or if it's not worthy of that, is it worthy of your business process? Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that was a really uh, very interesting topic. Uh, it's very different from here's the latest cool feature in Microsoft 365. Not, not we're talking about that can't be done in Microsoft 365. This, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not technology, not tools, not about why we use the tools we use. Mm -hmm. so we can use them better. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm saying. Uh, well, thank you. That was a really, really awesome discussion. We were happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Great to see you, Mike. Thanks. Likewise.